Good morning. I want to get started right away because we've got a lot of ground to cover. Um, we're coming to the end of our series today. We've called it ID, Discovering the Real You. And because we're coming to an end, it's time for a little test to see how well you've been listening. Let's see if you can respond with the correct reply here. Now, this first is easy. It's only worth 10 points. God is good. All the time. All the time. Okay, I think most of you got that. The next few are a little more difficult. These are worth 100 points. God loves you. Nope. He does, but that's not the response. God loves you. Yes, who did that? Who said that? Awesome. The answer is, I know. Let's try that again. God loves you. And then, how are you? Blessed. There you go. So let's try that again. How are you? Okay, those were worth 100 points, and I think we probably distributed 200 points for the whole group. Here comes bonus question, worth a thousand points. How about them? Ah, there you go. You win, you get the free donuts. So listen, today we're going to recap all 10 previous messages on what the Bible says about who you are in Christ. But first, let's talk about uh, how to take these messages and how to be transformed into the people that we really are. We said throughout this message that the Christian life is not a matter of trying hard to become somebody we're not. It's discovering who we already are and becoming that person, being transformed into the person that we already are, the, the people that, that God, that Christ has already made us. And so letter A, let's talk about experiencing who you really are by walking in repentance. Now, repent is one of those Words that hellfire and brimstone preachers uh, use to scare the H-E double hockey sticks out of you. But it's really not a scary word at all. The actual word in the Greek, repent, just is a simple everyday word that means to change one's thinking. So to change one's thinking from error to truth. Or to change one's thinking from what is harmful to what is beneficial. So when we repent... When we become Christ's disciples, we change our minds from being self-righteous to acknowledging our need for God's mercy and His forgiveness. And we change our mind from disbelief to, to belief in Jesus that He was and is the Son of God who came to this earth, died upon the cross for our sins, and rose from the dead in three days. Now, our need to repent does not end when we give our lives to Christ. It just begins when we give our life to Christ. The, the need to change our mind, change our way of thinking. Now look at Romans 12 too. We're going to read the last part of this first. Read, read it out loud with me as it's in your outline, as, as it's up here on the screen. Then you will know and experience God's good, pleasing, and perfect will for you. How many of y'all want that? How many of you want to experience God's good will, His perfect will, His pleasing will for you? I do. Okay, so let's back up and read the first part of this and see how it is that we experience that. Paul writes, Do not be conformed any longer to this world's way of thinking. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. That is, change your way of thinking. 
That is walking in repentance. It's identifying wrong thinking and wrong beliefs, what I call stinking thinking. Say stinking thinking. And replacing that with truth, which is the Word of God. And there's hardly an area in which we need to change how we think and line it up with the truth more than what we think about ourselves and what we believe about ourselves. Proverbs 23, 7 tells us this. Read it out loud with me. For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So who you are now and who you're becoming more and more is determined by what you think and what you believe about, my, about yourself. That can either be a very scary thought or that can be a very exciting thought, depending on what you choose to think about yourself. So number one, to walk in repentance, identify and repent from stinking thinking. Say it with me again. Stinking thinking. Romans 12, 2, again, do not be conformed. That is, don't let it sway. Don't let it influence you any longer. The world's way of thinking. Don't be conformed to the world's way of thinking. So what he's actually saying here in, in, in the uh, original Greek, it's an active imperative. And so he's saying stop allowing it. Stop being conformed. Even as Christians, we're giving into this, and he's saying, stop, recognize this, stop. Stop allowing the world to tell you where to get your identity from. Stop allowing the world to tell you where you get your sense of value and worth. Now, things like our accomplishments, our position, our, uh, our appearance, our material possessions. But you know, a lot of stinking thinking comes from how others have treated us and made us feel. And so you may even struggle with thoughts and feelings that you're worthless, you're no good, you'll never change, no one would want you, you're lazy, you're unattractive, you're not worth loving, you're a failure, you're a disappointment, on and on. And if you've ever had those feelings or have them now, I want you to know something. Not only are they not true, they are a lie from the pit of hell. And they are meant to keep you from experiencing the real life that God has planned for you. A life filled with joy. They're meant to keep you from experiencing who you really are in Christ. Now, let's be honest, it's not easy to keep our thoughts in check because we have kind of trained ourselves. We have heard these thoughts, we've heard these things about ourselves, and we have thought them uh, for a long time. And so it's not always easy to just stop them. About taking control of our thoughts, Martin Luther said this, I can't keep the birds from flying over my head, but I can keep them from building a nest in my hair. And so, sometimes you can't avoid those things entering your mind, but when they do, they can fly over your head, but don't let them build a nest in your hair. That is, recognize those things as a lie. Actually, call them out. Call out those thoughts. Call out those feelings and say, that is a stinking lie, and I'm not going to believe it. That's not who I am. And then you declare the truth about what God says you are. Get it? Good. And so that brings us to number two, 
We have to identify and rid our minds of the things that aren't true, the stinking thinking, and then we need to replace the stinking thinking with truth. John 17, 17, it says, sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth. Circle that word sanctify, that's another one of those mysterious church words that uh, has a very simple meaning. When something is sanctified, basically, it is fulfilling the purpose for which it was created. My brother Mickey used to eat cereal out of an empty ceramic flower pot because our cereal bowls were too small and he would eat a whole box of cereal in one sitting. Now, that flower pot was not made to eat cereal out of, so it was unsanctified. When my mom finally bought him a bowl big enough to eat his cereal in, she was able to redeem her pot and sanctify it and use it once again to plant flowers in. Now, you are sanctified when you are fulfilling the purpose for which God created and saved you. When you're living that abundant life he created you for. And so how does that happen? How do we discover and live out our purpose? Well, John 17, 17 again. Jesus says, sanctify them by what? Truth. And where do we find the truth? Your word. Your word is truth. You know, back when I was in college, I was watching a Phil Donahue show, and I know that really dates me. How many of you have never heard of Phil Donahue? Okay, good. Well, some of you uh, are probably not even just going to admit that, because I know there's a lot more of you that don't know who Phil Donahue is. Anyways, I was, I was uh, between classes, I was watching a show, and uh, one of his guests this day happened to be a preacher. And so, I don't remember what the subject was, but every time this preacher would answer a question, he would begin by saying, well, the Bible teaches, and then he'd go on, and he'd quote the Bible. And, and after a while, the studio audience began to heckle him, and began to attack him, and finally this one young man grabbed the microphone, and he angrily shouted at him, he said, you know what your problem is? Mister, you've been brainwashed by that Bible of yours. It's, it has control over everything that you say, everything that you do. And the audience cheered like he just hit him with the ultimate insult. And I am back in my dorm room, and I am thinking two things. Number one, I'm thinking, I'd sure like to be in that studio audience right now. I wonder how far I could shot put that guy's face. And the second thing I was thinking was, you know, that guy thinks he paid that preacher the ultimate insult. He actually paid him the ultimate compliment. What he accused him of is the goal of my life. I want to have my brain washed by that Bible of mine. You know, I want to have everything I do and everything I say and everything I think to be controlled by the Word and the Spirit of God. I want to be sanctified. Psalm 1 says this, blessed, let's stop right there. How many of you want to be blessed, want a blessed life, a life blessed by God? Let's read how you do that. Blessed is the person who does not follow the advice of wicked people. In other words, keep ungodly thoughts out of your ears and your head. The blessed person does not take the path of sinners or join the company of mockers, rather, he delights in the teachings of the Lord, and he reflects on his teachings how often? Pretty often, right? 
Notice it doesn't say he reads the Bible every once in a while. It says that he delights in the Bible. He delights in God's Word. He loves it. He fills his mind and his heart with God's Word so that it guides his thoughts, his feelings, and his actions throughout the day. And the result is this, verse 3. He's like a tree planted beside streams, a tree that produces fruit in season, whose leaves do not wither. He succeeds or prospers in everything he does. What a promise. And where does it begin? By filling our minds and hearts with the Word of God. So if you want to live the blessed, abundant life God desires for you, and that I'm sure you desire for yourself, you've got to replace the stinking thinking with truth, with what the Word of God says about you. Get it? Good. And so for the rest of this message, what we're going to do is that we're going to um, review what the Word of God says about who you are in Christ. We're going to review 10 messages in the next two hours of the message. No, I'll go faster than that. I am going to talk fast if you'll listen fast. So let her be who you really are in Christ. Just don't forget this. Don't forget who you really are in Christ. I'm going to challenge you to take these principles and not put them on a shelf somewhere, not forget about them, not throw away your, your outlines. I'm going to challenge you to take these messages and these biblical principles and think them and believe them and meditate on them and confess them out loud and thank God for them often until Jesus returns. Just as Psalm 1 says, delight and reflect on them day and night. So who are you? Number one, you're a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, most things have become new. Thank you. All things have become new. You know, salvation is a radical thing. All things have become new. You're not like those people in the witness protection program who are really just the same people but given a different name. You know, names like Stevie or Batman or Rock Hudson. And if you didn't come to the newlywed game, you don't know what I'm talking about. See what you missed? I made five people laugh in here. Again, everything about you is new. You have a new heart. You have a new mind. You have new desires. You have the heart, the mind, and the desires of Christ who lives in you. Now, this is not in your outline, but I'm going to write this down and look it up later. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. Paul writes this. Stop being the person that you used to be in your old life. That person was bad because he wanted to do wrong things. Have a new mind and heart, which you do. Be a new person, which you are. That new person has been made like God. That new person that you are right now has been made like who? God. He does what is right and holy because he knows the truth. You're not the same. You have a new mind, new heart. You have the heart of Christ. You know that temper of yours? It's been replaced by the kindness of Christ. That impatience is replaced with the patience of Christ. 
bitterness healed by the love and grace of Christ. Impure thoughts and desires replaced by the purity of Christ. And on and on and on. I know some of you think it, but, but wait a minute. I'm not experiencing that. I'm still struggling with all those things. How do I stop? You know, it's really a matter of who you believe you are catching up with who God says you are. And the more you believe, the more you will experience the real you. Get it? Good. So say, repeat after me. I am a new creation. Say it again. I am a new creation. And repeat after me. I have the heart, mind, and desires of Christ. Number two, who are you? You're loved. Ephesians 3, 18, 19. May you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, long, how high, and how deep his love is for you. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great for you to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. You listen, if you ever doubt God's love for you, all you have to do is go for the cross and remember that's for you. Go to the cross on which Jesus, Jesus suffered and died to take your place, to take the penalty for your sins upon himself so that he could make you his. If there are times that others reject, make you feel unloved, you just remember who you are. You are loved beyond comprehension by the God of the universe. And that will never change. Repeat after me. I am loved. Say it again. I am loved. And say this whole thing after me. I am loved by my Father, the God of the universe. Number three, you're permanently His. 1 John 5, 11, 13. John writes this. And this is what God has testified. He has given us what? Eternal life. And this life is found where? In his son. Verse 13, I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. How many of you believe in the name of the Son of God? Probably almost all of you. Awesome. So that you may hope you have eternal life. So that you may be pretty sure that you have eternal life. So that you may know, circle it, know that you have eternal life. That means to know with certainty, without doubt. So if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ uh, to forgive and save you, what do you have? Right now. If you have the Son, then what else do you have? Eternal life. And once you have eternal life, when does it end? Never? Never. And so once you have eternal life, can you ever lose it? If you could, it wouldn't be what? Eternal life. Get it? Good. And look at Hebrews 13.5. Let's see if this is clear. He, God himself, has said, and this is in the Amplified Bible, which emphasizes the, 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 the meaning in the original Greek. He, God has, himself, has said, I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake you, or let you down, relax my hold on you, Assuredly not. What do you think he's trying to say here? 
Listen, you might let go of God, but he will never let go of you. And the same is true for your children. The same is true for your loved ones. Amen. Repeat after me. I am permanently his. I have eternal life. And I'm eternally loved by God. Isn't that awesome? Number four. You are a saint. Now again, I don't think this is in your outline, but 1 Corinthians 1-2 Paul's just writing to the Christians in the church of Corinth, and he says, to the saints. He calls them what? Saints. In the church of God, which is at Corinth, along with all who in every place call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you gave your life to Christ, God transformed you from a sinner to a saint. Now, a saint is a person who is holy, a saint is a person who is innocent of sin. How many of you are innocent of sin? Not many of you. What have the rest of you been up to? <laughs> Confession time, back here at the end of the sermon. Look at 2 Corinthians 5. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the what? The righteousness of God. So underline that. We are the righteousness of God. Now to be righteous means to be holy. It means to be justified. To be treated just as if I'd never sinned. Just as if I'd never sinned. If you've trusted in Christ, your sins have been forgiven completely. Past, present, and future. You have been declared guilty. You have been declared innocent of sin you have been made holy because of what you've done because of what who's done because of Christ and what he did for you on the cross you are innocent of sin and so when God sees you God sees you and he treats you as if you were just as righteous and innocent as his son Jesus Christ wow yeah. So let me ask again. How many of you, because of Christ's death on the cross, are innocent of sin? Which makes you what? A saint. You ever met a saint? Turn to the people next to you and introduce yourself real quick. Now, listen. Do you still sin? Yeah. But this is important to, to get. Is that because you are a sinner by nature and you can't help sin? Or is that because you are a saint by nature who occasionally slips and sins? Which is it? First or second? Second. You are a saint by nature, not a sinner. A saint that occasionally slips and falls. Because listen, if you see yourself as a sinner, how are you likely to act? Like a and if you see yourself as a saint, if you see yourself as one who has overcome sin through Christ, you will act how? Like an overcomer and a saint. Repeat after me. I'm not a sinner. I'm a saint. Praise God. Number five. You are God's masterpiece. 
Ephesians 2.10 says, We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he's planned for us long ago. Now circle that word masterpiece. It's the Greek word poema, which sounds like, and where we get our English word, poem. Right. I have another poem that I wrote to Terry that I wanted to share with you. No? Too late. It's in my notes. I got to say it. Roses are red. Violets are blue. Your eyes are brown, just like my favorite pair of shoes. And that's them. And now you know why she fell in love with me. Fortunately, God's a much better poet than I am. You are unique. You are God's masterpiece. One of a kind masterpiece. You are beautiful in his eyes, just as you are right now. Since the day you were born, even before, he has been using every detail of your life, every circumstance, to mold you into the masterpiece that you are and the masterpiece that you're becoming. And that is the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. Which, again, you already are on the inside. And more and more, you're becoming that in your daily experience. And if listen, if you feel like you've got a long way to go to get there, join the club. But recognize God is not finished with you, and he never will be. And the best is yet to come for you. So say, I am God's masterpiece. Number six, you are a Christian. Yeah, thank you. You know, some today feel reluctant to identify themselves as a Christian. Because they're afraid of how people are going to think about them. And yet, that is how followers of Jesus Christ have identified themselves ever since the first century. And sometimes at a great, great cost. 1 Peter 4, 16 says, if, However, if you suffer because you are a Christian, don't be ashamed of it. But thank God that you bear Christ's name. The greatest honor of being called a Christian is that in that name, we bear the name of Christ. And that's not something to be ashamed of. That's something to shout from the rooftops. So let's give it a shot. What do you say? On the count of three, shout, I am a Christian. One, two, three. I am a Christian, and I'm proud of it. Number seven, you're Christ's ambassador. 2 Corinthians 5.20, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Now, in, in that message, we talked about that our mission as Christ's ambassadors, our mission is to be salt and light in this world. Matthew 5, Jesus talks about that. He says, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. <clears throat> And so just as salt stops the deterioration of food, when we're called salt, what that means is that we're supposed to stand against the deterioration of, of the morals of our society and the values. 
and of our nation. And the way we do that is by living and speaking and defending the truth that is found in the Word of God. Now, Sir Edmund Burke said this, the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good men and good women to do nothing. And that has been what the church has been doing for a while now. We have lost our saltiness. We have forgot who we are. Ambassadors for Christ. And that needs to change because our country is slipping away. As light helps us to see more clearly the things that are hidden, we're to make the true nature and character of God visible to others. Uh, we're to help others through our words and our actions and our attitudes to help others to be able to see the God through us that is described in Psalm 145. Uh, read it out loud with me. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. So we're here to help others to know the God that we know. You know, the one about which, about which we say, God is good all the time. And it's our job to let the world know that's true. So repeat after me. I am Christ's ambassador. Called to make a difference in this world. Number eight, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 11, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. So Christ himself lives in you through his Holy Spirit, which means this, listen. It means that everything that was at Jesus' disposal when he walked to this earth is at your disposal as well. You have his power, his authority, his presence, and he is never far away from you. Never as far away from you as your own heart. Which means never again do you have to pray that prayer that I hear all the time in which I still slip and pray, and that is, oh God, be with me. Or, oh God, be with so-and-so, or be with my children. You know, if God, if Christ, through his Holy Spirit, is in us, how more with you can he be than in you? And so better, rather than praying, God, be with me, pray, thank you for being with me. And you'll never leave me. Better to confess and acknowledge and praise God for the truth rather than praying some prayer that means nothing. God be with me. Better to pray, God, thank you for being with my kids and in my kids rather than be with my kids. Get it? Good. So repeat after me. I am God's temple. Number nine, you are blessed. King David writes what we all should say and feel in Psalm 23, 6. He says, surely your goodness, God, and your love will follow me. They'll chase me. They'll pursue me. I'll experience it all the days of my life. And then when this life is over, after you've pursued me with your love and your goodness, and then after this is over, I get to dwell in your house forever. And I think there's a phrase missing from the end of this psalm. Somebody pinch me. Now, understand, 
David experienced some huge trials in his life. I mean, huge. And yet in the midst of them, he still trusted in and experienced the goodness and the love of God. And and you and I have even more reason for joy than David did. We're on this side of the cross. David didn't even understand the cross and how much that reveals God's love and goodness to us. So you experience his goodness and love every single day because of the cross. The blessings that he's poured out upon us of adoption and forgiveness and provision and victory and healing and his presence and comfort. the, The blessing of his word and the blessing of his church. And then when this life is over, after you've experienced his goodness and love every day of your life on this earth, then you get to spend eternity where? In the presence of the Lord. Experiencing his goodness and love in a way that, that Paul said, no ear has heard, no eye has seen, no mind can even imagine what God has in store for us. That's a lot of goodness and love, isn't it? Somebody pinch me. Not really. Oh, you can. How are you? How are you? Blessed. Say, I am blessed. How are you? I am blessed. Amen, you are. And number 10, you are a big deal. First Peter 2.9 says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, or as some translations say, you are priests and kings, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. You are not a nobody. Don't know if you've ever felt that way, but you're not a nobody. You are somebody of great value and importance. Chosen by God, pursued by God, treasured by God, and paid for at an unimaginable price. God to make you his, he paid for you by the precious blood of his son. He would not be denied. He pursued you, would not be denied until you finally acknowledged and said yes to his love for you. Romans 5.17 says, It was by the transgression of one, Adam, that death ruled as king through that one. Even more so shall those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness rule as kings, underline that, rule as kings in life by the one, Jesus Christ. You were not meant to just survive in this life. You were meant to rule and to reign in this life. You are a child of the king, and you are a king, a queen yourself. Listen, you are not a victim of your circumstances. You are always a victor in Christ. Get it? Live it. You possess the very authority of your dad, the king of the universe, You're a big deal. It's time you realize that. It's time you act like that. It's time that you thank God for who you really are. So repeat after me. I am a new creation. I am loved. I am permanently his. I am a saint. I am God's masterpiece. I am a Christian. I am Christ's ambassador. I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. I am blessed. And I'm a big deal. Let's give God praise for that.
And I will guarantee you, if you leave here and you go out and you live a life of repentance and you recognize the stinking thinking and if you begin to speak the truth over your life, who you really are, it'll change your life. And you'll begin to experience the abundant life that God desires for you. I want to close uh, this series with this video that I think sums up pretty well what we've been talking about and, and how we put it into practice. So watch this. Who do you say that I am? When I think of myself, I know exactly what you see. Every flaw, every blemish, the scars of my hurts and my mistakes, the things I've done to myself, the things that have been said and done to me, that's who I am. You see a mother, daughter, sister and aunt you see the scarce shadow of a woman's potential irreversibly wrapped in failure but then i hear it that still small voice who told you that who told you that you are defined by your mistakes who told you that you are ugly broken? Who told you that you are only measured by what you give others? Who told you that brokenness and frailty are what you carry? Haven't you heard? You are not what everyone says you are. You are who God says you are, and you are His. He says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. He says you are a perfect design, made for a purpose, made for a destiny, and you are never alone. He says he'll never leave you nor forsake you. He goes before you. He goes behind you. He says you are bold. He says you are brilliant. He says you are brave. He says greater is he that is in you. hand-painted by the master himself. You are who God says you are. Let's pray. Let's take some time to reflect on again who God says you are. those things sink in. And listen, if there's anybody here today and you're not sure whether you belong to Jesus Christ, whether you've begun that relationship with him that was made possible when Jesus died on the cross for your sins, to take the penalty for your sins upon himself and rose from the dead. And I'm not asking whether you have grown up in a church, whether you've been baptized or confirmed. I'm asking, has there ever been a time when you have asked Christ to uh, forgive you, come into your heart and life, take control of your life. And if you're not sure whether you've done that, I'm going to pray a prayer out loud. And if it expresses your heart's desire, I want you to pray this with me. And I want us all to pray this out loud, but I'd like those that, again, are 
desiring to give their lives to Christ, if you're desiring to give your life to Christ, you especially, would you pray this out loud with me? Let's pray this together. Heavenly Father, I admit to you that I've sinned, done wrong, not lived as you desire. I need your forgiveness, your power to live a new life. I believe that Jesus Christ is your son. I believe that Jesus came to this earth as a man. That he suffered and died on the cross. Where he took the penalty for my sins upon himself. I believe Jesus rose from the dead and is alive today. Jesus, I open the door of my heart to you. Come come into my heart and life. Wash away all my sin. And give me the power through your Holy Spirit to live the life you've planned for me. And I thank you for hearing my prayer. And again, just if everybody could keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed just for a moment. And I'm going to ask if you prayed to give your life to Christ, would you please let me know by raising your hand? Thank you. Just keep your hand raised if you would. Thanks. And now, um, those of you that have raised your hands, would you please uh, just make eye contact with me, with me real quickly? And I just want to speak to you and let you know that Jesus heard your prayer. And that right now, you have been forgiven, and Jesus himself has come to live inside of you. You've been adopted as God's son, as God's daughter. And that's never going to change. And so you've just begun a great adventure of living life with God, with him on your side and with him in you. And we all want to welcome you into God's family. Let's do that. Now, I'm going to ask those of you that raised your hand and gave your life to Christ, if you would come and just uh, introduce yourself and shake hands with Terry and I. We're going to be here at the end of the service. And just come and shake our hands. We just want to welcome you into God's family. It's not necessarily, you're not joining the church. That's not what this is about. This is just us celebrating uh, that you now are one of God's children. So welcome to God's family again.